0: The future isn't promised to any of us, but it is likely, and so it must be accounted for. Time is a finite resource, but unlike other finite resources, like money, none of us really knows how much of it we have. Therefore, it is a challenging balance that we must strike in being stewards for our future selves and living each moment to its full potential. How much of our efforts we should dedicate towards building for the future and how much we should reserve for the experience of the present is a question that doesn't have a clear answer, but that doesn't mean it isn't worth asking, as it's one of the most important questions in life. This episode is Reconciliation. Are listening to Aspirational Wealth, a podcast to help you to build, grow, and protect your money. Investment and finance are complicated subject matters, but the better you understand them, the better you can put your resources to work in the service of your life's aspirations. Now, here's your host, Dan Mayer. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You are listening to the sixth episode of Aspirational Wealth, and I appreciate you tuning in. As always, I'd be grateful if you can give the show a like, follow, or rating on your favorite podcast platform. Much like money, it takes listeners to gain listeners, and the more reviews, follows, and ratings the show has, the more often it'll pop up on prospective listeners' radars when they're looking for shows about investing and finance. So, thank you in advance. Last episode, we talked about how the philosophy of Stoicism can be useful in helping you to navigate through what can be a pretty bumpy and anxiety-inducing investment ride. But I have to make a confession. For the sake of the episode, I kind of cherry-picked what central tenets of Stoicism we talked about. One fundamental pillar of the philosophy that I omitted was the Stoic belief in living fully engaged in the present. As the emperor Marcus Aurelius put it, every man's life lies within the present for the past is spent and done with and the future is uncertain. The truth is that much of my day job lies in helping people to prepare for that uncertain future. The old paradigm of financial advisory was to encourage clients to save away as much money as they possibly could for their retirement and to recommend that they live frugally and within their means in the day to day. However, I would imagine that every advisor has a client story in which the client did just that into sad consequence. The classic story is one in which a client, we'll call him Joe, lives his life prudently and frugally, saving a substantial amount of his salary throughout his career. Joe has aspirations to own a lake house and to travel to Europe with his wife once he is no longer working and certain that his accumulated savings will last him through the entirety of his retirement years. In efforts to do this, Joe makes significant spending sacrifices. As a result, his investment portfolio is a robust one at the time of his retirement at the age of 65. However, once Joe retires, his health deteriorates and he passes away at 67 his aspirations forever remain unfulfilled and the financial sacrifices that he made during his peak health years seem like they were in vain. So, what do we make of this? Is it a failing to forever be planning on a Sunday that never comes? And how does one reconcile the possibility that he or she could either die tomorrow or live to 100, perhaps? To more clearly understand how we can be better stewards for our present and future selves moving forward, it would be beneficial to consider the perspectives of those who have already been on that ride and are now looking back. In 2012, Bronnie Ware wrote a book based on her experience working with folks who were in hospice care. It was called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. By looking at these five regrets, we can have kind of a dialogue with our future selves and better understand how to reconcile living in the present with being a steward for that future version of us. The top five regrets of the dying are as follows. Number one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two, I wish I didn't work so hard. Number three. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. So there it is. On the surface, none of these regrets is explicitly related to finance, But one may infer that financial insecurity or motivations might have attributed to why someone wouldn't live their authentic life, why they might have worked too much, or why they might not have put enough time and effort into fostering and maintaining their relationships with others. The regrets of the dying are pitfalls waiting ahead of us. Perhaps we're already entrenched in them, but the good news is that each and every one of us has the opportunity to correct our course. As I said in the intro, the future is not promised, but it is likely. And while the question of how to reconcile planning for the future and living in the present is a difficult one, it's one that we must consistently ask ourselves in order to live with intentionality. We're going to hit the break for our mandatory disclosures, but on the other side, we will dig into how you can position your financial plan to best strike that balance between living the present to the fullest and making sure that you've properly prepared yourself for the future. I don't have any definitive answers, but I have three very specific recommendations. We'll be right back. the interruption but we have an obligatory disclosure even though i'm a financial advisor this show is not financial advice because i don't know you i don't know your circumstance your objectives your time horizon your risk tolerance your tax liability your estate planning dynamic and what makes you tick in the absence of all that this show is instead an educational podcast on general best practices in personal finance and investment before you do anything actionable, consider strongly if it is a suitable decision for you. Now back to the show. One of the main premises of my show is that the secret to building wealth is to systematically save and prudently invest over time. Another premise is that money is a resource and not an end game. The pursuit of wealth absent any other motivation is basically idolatry and it probably won't make you happy. However, we've also established that having wealth has been empirically proven to give individuals and households a greater sense of agency, freedom, and security. Money is a valuable resource, but in the greater hierarchy of resources, it's probably coming in around fourth, behind time, health, and relationships. This is evidenced in the five common regrets of the dying. When we look at those five regrets, they all pertain to how the subjects of the book felt they had misused or undervalued their time and relationships. It seems evident that a greater sense of agency, freedom, and security would have served them well, assuming that they understood what it was that brought them the most fulfillment. So, I promise three suggestions to reconcile planning for the future and living in the present. They're as follows. Number one, if something is important to you, make it a priority. Our example of Joe, the client, illustrated a situation in which an individual had wealth and aspirations, but ran out of time. One side of the coin is being insecure financially, and the other is running out of time before you've utilized your money resources to their desired purposes. And what are the most rewarding purposes for your financial resources? Well, a 20-year study conducted by a psychologist and Cornell University professor, Dr. Thomas Gilovich, concluded that spending money on experiences makes for happier outcomes than spending money on things. This is because A. We get used to new possessions and we have a tendency to normalize them as our baseline once we've attained them. For whatever reason, it's very difficult for us to maintain an ongoing appreciation for what we have compared to what we used to have. B. We perpetually raise the bar. Once we've purchased that nice home or car, we almost immediately set our sights on the next even better thing. This has been the case with humans for a very long time, and it's even referenced in the Old Testament of the Bible where it is stated that, "...all of man's efforts are for his mouth, and yet his appetite is never satisfied." Now, as a species, we probably have a lot of development and achievement that owes a debt of gratitude to this infinite appetite, but as individuals, it can be an impediment to contentment, happiness, and peace of mind. Finally, C. Spending money on things has a tendency to leave us vulnerable to being sucked into the trap of keeping up with the Joneses. U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt once said that comparison is the thief of joy. Your material possessions may be nice, but if you are constantly benchmarking yourself against what others have, they'll never make you happier. I think that these days with Instagram and social media, experiences are also trending to become part of this trap to a degree, but there's one fundamental difference. As Dr. Gilovich puts it, our experiences are a bigger part of ourselves than our material goods. You can really like your material stuff. You can even think, that part of your identity is connected to those things, but nonetheless, they remain separate from you. In contrast, your experiences really are part of you. We are the sum total of our experiences. My second suggestion regarding reconciliation is to keep in mind the fact that saving for the future will directly affect your present as well. Having significant accumulated savings, be it in a retirement or brokerage account or whatever, will give you a sense of financial security agency, and freedom. Perhaps you won't feel obligated to work too much. Maybe you'll be able to pursue passions and interests more in line with living your life as your authentic self. And hopefully, you'll be better able to maintain and foster relationships with your family and friends if you don't feel obligated to continuously trade your time for money. Additionally, once you get the wealth snowball built and rolling, you'll be able to see that incredible force of compounding interest in full effect. Again, the key isn't to be an aesthetic, is to be intentional. You don't have to squirrel away money that would otherwise be put to living the present to the fullest, but you should prioritize saving over wasting your money. As I've said before, your finances are a zero-sum game. Money saved has the potential to grow in perpetuity, and money spent is gone forever. My third and final suggestion is a rather simple and intuitive one. Take care of yourself. The future isn't promised, but it is likely, and we should make it even more likely by eating well, exercising, managing stress, and getting enough sleep. If we are financial stewards for our future selves, but not physical ones, we can end up like the client Joe and simply run out of time. Now, obviously you can't control your genetics or externalities that affect your health, but what we can control, we should. The Scottish writer Thomas Carlyle was quoted, he who has health has hope, and he who has hope has everything. The regrets of those dying in hospice are tragic in that there is no revisiting the past. However, for those of us who still have time and health, there are important teaching points on how to navigate our presence into the future. So here's to being authentic to having a balanced work life, to telling our loved ones we care about them, to calling old friends, and to being happy in the moment. That's all for this episode. Tune in next time, when we'll be discussing delegation. Take care.